This is Under the Hood on ESPN 1000. Follow at TweetJHood on Twitter. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports. Listen to Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app. So glad that you're with us here on this Wednesday night as we turn to the NFL Network and talk to a friend of the program, Stacy Dales, about some of the storylines around the NFL. There's a, All the sports are closed, but the NFL's open for business, especially with their storylines, and Stacy joins us here on ESPN 1000. Stacy, as always, I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on the show. Well, it's a pleasure, Jonathan, and I know we're all kind of staying safe and isolating right now. So it's all, you know, sports are always a nice respite for us to, uh, to, to break away from some of the chaos and, and uh, the troubles that we're seeing in the climate we're in right now. So thank you for having me on. Ultimately you as a player, you as a broadcaster, me as a broadcaster, uh, whether there's COVID-19 going on or not, that's kind of our role as people in the entertainment. So I just think that we're just, we're just, keeping on keeping on with what we normally do and that is to be um a distraction through entertainment and sports so i i feel like we're still fulfilling what we do well like you know it's interesting because every conversation i kind of have it's like there's this you know sort of precipice of of bizarre or weird (laughs) surrounding it all and Mm -hmm. you know we have to try to go on and, and it's you know hopefully um we'll find some resolution soon for this but um I really applaud the folks that are staying inside right now. And, um, you know, in many respects, I think it gives us perspective in life, just how fortunate we are and the blessings we have and, um, you know, connecting, reconnecting with family members, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. You try to see positives and everything in a really otherwise negative situation on the outside. I want to get your thoughts, Stacy, on a number of stories, especially when it starts with the Bears. I want to get your thoughts on the offseason. We have talked so much uh, through the season about Mitch Trubisky and his troubles last year and the offense not being exactly what Matt Nagy wanted, and now Nick Foles is in the mix with the Bears. What was your initial reaction to that story? Uh, I wasn't surprised that a quarterback was acquired. It was a matter of which one. I think that the individual chosen in Nick Foles was the best-case scenario for the Chicago Bears because of his really extensive history with not only the head coach, but, you know, the coordinator. I mean, John Filippo. he won a uh, – the quarterback's coach now, he, he won a, a Super Bowl with with the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, all of it's been well chronicled. Um, I, I think that, you know, w- when you consider Nick Foles and his poise and his veteran nature um, – you know, added to this roster, I, I think is it's all crisp. I use the word crystallized for me since the actual trade happened for the Chicago Bears and the Jacksonville Jaguars. As I've processed it, I really feel like you know we can all say Trubisky has has the, I guess the a little bit of a foot forward because he's been here. And um, however. There is no room for error. There's no margin for error. And I think Nick Foles, you know, could be a guy to step in and start because he knows the system so well, all of the RPO mechanisms that operate within this offense. Um, I mean, you couldn't have asked for a better possibility if you're the Chicago Bears for a quarterback to come in and push for the starting role. Boy, this seems urgent on the part of Ryan Pace, does it not? I mean, we're in year three of this with Matt Nagy and – 
the defense, I, I still believe it's going to be solid, even with the additions they made here in, in the offseason. But it just seems as though is that they, they probably think that the window's closing. That's why that Foles is here, because otherwise he'd still be steadfast in the belief that Trubisky's the guy. But it, either way, Stacey, here's how I look at it. I just think that Trubisky needs to be pushed. And mm-hmm. whether he wins the job or not, I just think competition's good. Competition's good. I know Ryan Pace wanted competition, and he's not playing around with this. I mean, what, what what always stands out to me through free agency, Jonathan, is when you look at a team and how they tool one side of the football. So what I see with, for instance, the Green Bay Packers last year, as you know, they added the Smith brothers. They're not brothers, but you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zedarius and Smith, uh, Press Preston. I, I see a Chicago Bears unit that got together and said, let's build our defense via free agency, and now we're going to add a bunch of youth to this offense. And, oh, by the way, Nick Foles is now on the roster. <laughs> so right. what they've done, what they've added defensively, um, you know, I think about Robert Quinn, who's, you know, in, in his time in the National Football League, 80-plus sacks. Uh, there aren't many guys that have that. And I talked to one Bears player last week when it all happened, and he couldn't have been more thrilled because it adds depth up front. It adds another pass rusher to free up Khalil Mack a little bit. Um, And so, you know, Barcavius Mingo, another former first-rounder, added to the roster. Um, So so for the Chicago Bears, you have now done a couple of things here. I, I love the Robert Quinn move, and I just think that, from from the standpoint of building that defense up and all that they have up front, we'll see what they can add to their back end, possibly through the draft. But, you know, you have two picks in the second round, and that's not bad. I mean, you always want a first-rounder, but you pick early in the second round if you're the Bears. And this is a deep draft. It's, um, you know, I think at every position you could argue, receivers, tight ends, um, offensive line, I think all those three positions for me is, going to be really interesting for the Bears in the second round. I guess the big question I have for you, Stacey, is are these moves that we've seen so far good enough to be able to compete with Minnesota and Green Bay? Ultimately, you want to be as good as possible in the NFC, but you don't want to be in third place struggling to try to get to the playoffs. So are these playoff-like moves, do you think, for the Bears? It's a really great question. I already think the, the Chicago Bears have a playoff defense. So that argument has a big period on the end of it. I mean, when I think about Akeem Hicks, who's absolutely on track to be ready to go after the injury last year, and I think about this front seven, this is one of the best front sevens in football. Danny Trevathan, they just redid his deal, and he'll be you know healthy to, and good to go. Roquan Smith, same thing. Um, and then you've got still Kyle Fuller and Eddie Jackson on the back end. I think that's, a, to me, a playoff defense. The, the glaring questions in this division, to answer your question, when you mentioned those other two teams, can you run the football in this division? And I think that, you know, Nagy has made an emphasis. There's two areas that need to be drastically different besides quarterback play. Got to be able to run the football effectively and, and consistently when you need to, and you need a tight end that can do the things you need in this offense. You can morph this thing from a West Coast to all these RPOs, and when, when I say that, you know, if we go back and look at the stats and um, pro football focus does a fantastic job that we utilize heavily at NFL Network. Since 2018, the Chicago Bears operate out of run pass option, second most in the National Football League. Well, guess who is number one? The Chiefs. Mm-hmm. Well, they, they just won the Super Bowl. 
So <laughs> you, you have, and a, and a huge part of that is the tight end position. We've seen it with the Eagles, with Zach Ertz. We've seen it with Kelsey in Kansas City. And now what becomes of this group where you have currently, gosh, I've, I've lost count, 11 or 12 tight ends on your roster right now, and you need some help at guard with your offensive line. I think that the Bears are going to attack this draft offensively. But as I say that, Jonathan, you never really know what teams are going to do. Nobody knows what these teams will do on draft day. Stacey Dales from the NFL Network with Jonathan Hood on Under the Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. So I could tell you, Stacey, that I, I was r- r- wrong, like the Fonz was wrong on Happy Days. I was wrong <laughs> about Tom Brady because I just thought that Tom would just stay in a, a – a familiar position being in Foxborough and giving another run to uh, being with the Patriots. But clearly the divorce was going to happen because Tom wanted out of Foxborough so bad that he went to Tampa of all teams. Uh, (laughs) So, so what does that say for, for Tom Brady that he wanted to break away so badly that he went to a moribund franchise like Tampa? Gosh, I I just hate to try to get in the mind of somebody and, think how they think and understand it. So it's just fun to sit here and banter back and forth about what we really think. (laughs) Um, I was in your camp, Jonathan, when I'm at the combine and I'm talking to Patriots people and they don't know what's going on. And all of a sudden the the clock is ticking, right? Mm -hmm. And we get to free agency and there's still no peeps about what Tom Brady's going to do. And then for me, it just became the realization that this thing was probably going to shift to another franchise which I think is so interesting because when you've played two decades in this league, you think about guys like Brett Favre, um, to have to go and virtually change a culture. And one man can do that in Tom Brady. So I felt it was coming at a certain point given the wait period. I did not see the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. However, I like the fit because Bruce Arians is such a strong offensive mind. He is a player's coach through and through. Um, Every player that I've ever talked to that's played for him will tell you that. Uh, He's worked with, you know, the the best quarterbacks, you know, historically. And think about a guy like Carson Palmer or or Ben Roethlisberger. Um, And he's had success where he's been. So uh, what will – you know, I'll be interested in seeing is how, how that roster with Tom Brady at the forefront of it. And I do believe Tom Brady has enough of a presence. There's, there's this otherworldly aura about Tom Brady. You feel it when you're around him. He's just a winner. And I, I was on, you know, texting with a couple of Bucks folks when it was all happening. And they were like, do you know Tom well? Like, you know, you know, we're, we're just like buck, buckling up for this because you think about a market that we don't even go cover sometimes. And that's, that's no offense, but, but they haven't won, you know, lately. And um, they've had roster shakedowns every year. And, and now it's going to be like 24-7. We're going to have probably have an affiliate or a correspondent that's going to have to get to Florida a lot. So – um, and, and I think they have a good defense. I mean, Shaq Barrett defensively on that defense, 19 and a half sacks this past season. I had, they have some pieces in place. I mean, obviously, and Dominican Sue, uh, you know, Vita Vea up front. Um, I'll be just, and, and Levante David, who I love at the linebacker position, but 
now I'm getting excited about football. Um, <laughs> of course. But, 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 like, what do they do? What do they add around Mike Evans? Um, and then, as you know, Jonathan, what becomes now of the New England Patriots? It's almost like Tom Brady looked at this thing like, huh, okay, I don't have enough tools around me, maybe. I, I'm not trying to put words in his mouth, but you're not going to pay for this or this. So, you know what? I, I'm going to go, and good luck, guys. This is Under the Hood. Under the Hood podcasts are available now on the all-new ESPN Chicago app. Available on your device now. This is ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports. Dales from the NFL Network with us here on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app on the Bears and everything else in the NFL offseason. And Stacy, I want to ask you about the Patriots. You know, Bill Belichick, the head coach for the Patriots, just loves to go into the bargain bin. But I think that the Patriots have their next quarterback on their roster. As much as I like Cam Newton or Jameis Winston, it might make sense for other teams. But I think that Belichick just wants to mold and shape someone that's already on his current roster. Uh, I agree with that as well. Um, I also just, you know, as far as the, the the culture that Bill Belichick operates in his his franchise and his program, I mean, it's all about value and development and having players loyally stay with the franchise. And so, you know, I think some players can be there for a really long time and not see those really exponential deals get done because of their loyalty to the, to the franchise that, uh, that always wins. So it's like a, you know, it's, it's almost double fold, twofold um, to be a player with, you know, players want to go there. Now I'll be interested to see, do players still want to go there without Tom? That'll be really interesting to me and glaring for me. Um, but when you consider the, the guys that they have on their roster right now, and Jarrett Stidham, and they just picked up Brian Hoyer from the Colts, who obviously knows Josh really well, and uh, and then Cody Kessler. I mean, Brian Hoyer, I love the guys. He is starting quarterback in the National Football League. Can they develop Jared Stidham um, to where he, he can manufacture and win games for them? Um, they still got the running backs in place and Sony Michelle and James White. And, you know, I will say this in defense of the Patriots. It's not like they didn't go out and try to, you know, get a guy vertically like Antonio Brown. I mean, they, they picked up Mohamed Sanu at a certain point last season. And, you know, the, I think really glaringly, we really understand just how important having a, a superstar tight end is in this league. Mm-hmm. I mean, when Gronk left and Gronk retired, there was a there was an obvious every time every Sunday I turned the TV on there was an obvious void on the field. Now that's Gronk, okay? He's going to be a first ballot. But um, when I look at the teams that are great in this league, most of them have really really good tight ends. Um, so you know when you saw a Super Bowl team, I mentioned Jason, or, uh, Jason Kelsey, and um, I just think did I say Jason? I meant Travis. Yes, Travis Kelsey. Yes. I just, I just, I just saw an Instagram post of Jason. So, um, <laughs> but you know, Kelsey's Kelsey is right there, and and, and um, George Kittle is right there, and Zach Ertz is right there. I think Kyle Rudolph's in that conversation. So, you know, to me, that never got fixed for the Patriots. And um, gosh, we're going to really see the kind of coaching they have now that Tom's gone. Hey, you know, I could just. 
I imagine if I was Belichick's kid and I want to get the, the shiny toy in the toy department and Belichick says, no, let's get the Stidham instead. <laughs> I really, I really want the Bridgewater. No, let's get the Stidham. It's cheaper. Right. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's who I think is going to start. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Have you heard anything, Stacey, about a possible delay in the NFL season? No, I haven't. Um, I think I've been as curious as you or anybody. The fact that, from my understanding, GMs wanted the draft pushed and the NFL NFL currently is staying put um, tells me that they're going to do everything they can to keep this timeline um, as it stands. And, uh, you know, that's a conversation in itself because so much is impacted. I mean, I'm on the phone last week with different teams in the league and, they have very strict guidelines and protocol that to which they can execute what they need to do as a facility. I mean, you, you talk about everything down to security guards can be present, but only so many at facilities, only essential personnel, um, only essential medical personnel that have to work with players who are there demanding medical attention. So, you know, this is, we're all operating right now under the guise of technology. And I think it's apropos, I guess, because technology has has become who we are in many ways. But, I mean, it's tough when you can't have those face-to-face meetings through the draft process. It's really tough. I mean, you know, the difference of you and I sitting in a studio and doing stuff over the phone, there is a bit of a difference always. Yeah, yeah. You you want to have the, the player in the room to be able to get maybe that true feeling. Is that player going to kind of squirm in his seat? Because if he's yep. if that player's at home, then he's comfortable and he can, maybe his answer's different at home than it would be face-to-face in person with someone. Yeah, I, I think those are valid points. Um, but I also know that, you know, we, I don't think there's any hiding the fact that we want football and we want yes. football in September on day one. I, nobody can wait till the schedule release show in the off season because it's like I mean our network puts a huge emphasis on it because it's so exciting for fans to get to see who who and when you're playing. Are you in prime time slots? Where are they? Um, but I, I think we'll learn a lot still. I maintain over the next few weeks with the development of of this you know sort of invasive problem that we have and. Um, I just pray that people stay safe, really, and um, stay healthy, you know? Yeah. Well, Stacey, I'm glad you spent some time. I just want to get your, your NFL thoughts because it's a lot of action last week and into this week, too. So I'm looking forward to football returning. I, I think – I believe we will get football on time, and if we don't, it's it's okay. We're I'm willing to wait as long as everyone is safe. I echo that, my friend. As long as everybody's safe. Um, I'm, a, I'm an optimist, so I think that, you know, we as a nation are going to figure this out. And um, I can only imagine how hard folks are working to, uh, to, to make sure that the impact of this isn't um, sort of an existential crisis and we're stuck for a long time. I really do think people are trying to come together and figure it out. And uh, sports is so galvanizing. As I mentioned earlier, the perspective that we learn just with our loved ones, our personal relationships, um, what we take for granted in life, uh, one of those things, you know, may just be sports. It's such a galvanizing, fun form of entertainment 
that brings people together. I was fortunate enough to play in the 2000 Olympics for Team Canada um, on the basketball court. And when I was at the Olympics, Jonathan, I had never seen a global unification at the opening ceremonies in my lifetime. Of course, I was very young, but there's no greater globalizing force than the Olympics to watch countries that otherwise hate or despise each other cheering for one another as they enter an incredibly beautiful stadium. It's like, like truly um, jaw dropping and goosebump popping. So um, I hope that all of our sports entities can get back, but you know what? The most important thing right now is health, safety, and putting things in perspective. And right now that's being with your loved ones and taking care of yourself. Stacy, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. Always a pleasure, guys. Stacy Dales from the NFL Network with me, Jonathan Hood. You're listening to Under the Hood on ESPN 1000. Go! Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Follow us on the gram at IGJHood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000. And the brand-new ESPN Chicago app. Glad that you're with us here on this Wednesday. By the way, no show tomorrow, Thursday, or Friday. So no show Thursday and Friday because we have classic NCAA action through Westwood One. So we will not have an under-the-hood show. So we will have games. And then I'm back on Saturday and Sunday, and that will be on ESPN Radio and ESPNRadio.com. Also, if you have SiriusXM, SiriusXM Channel 80, I'll be on uh, doing shows between 12 and 5 p.m. Central Time uh, with a number of different people. Uh, so if you're driving around or if you're at home and you just need some sports talk, I got it for you on ESPNRadio.com or on the national side, on uh, also on SiriusXM, on Saturday and Sunday between 12 and 5 p.m. here um, on ESPN. Ah, look at this, Tyler. <clears throat> you know, we talked earlier about the uh, <laughs> early in the week about how D Nice was mixing and he was uh, spinning, and all these different celebrities came up in his feed. And then on Sunday, he handed it off to Quest Love, right? Quest Love, part of the Jimmy Fallon um, band uh, with the Roots. And so there's Quest Love again. I'm looking at him on Instagram. There he is. He's spinning again. I kind of like to start out with a, a musical prayer, a switch. Yeah, he's like he's he's got the the turntables. I'm looking at him on Instagram right now. He's gonna go do another like six hour set. See, these DJs can't go and they. Can't, this is what they, happens when you give people time. <laughs> well, they can't go to the club and make money for this, right? Yeah. So there's like, some ads oh, in there. Yeah. Well, exactly. Boy, you know what? See, you're an entrepreneur. You're a smart guy. Try. See, I, I try. I, that's smart because it's like if you're gonna do this for free, somebody should sponsor these things on Instagram. Because I'm seeing him right now, and he's got, you know, he's he's got the music going. Yeah, and so he's gonna do like another like I don't know if he's in Philly or in L.A., but just like everything else, everyone else is at home, and so they all these DJs are on the one and ones and twos, and they're mixing. Underground concerts now have a whole new meaning after this <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> I like your idea of having it sponsored, though. If you're going to be live for four or five hours, make it my, you know, give, give, give me give me some something for it. Somebody can put their label on it. It's crazy. Well, Quest Love is on live. <laughs> Guess after the show we can watch that. Um, 
So we were talking to Stacy Dales about the Patriots. And I just think it's fascinating what is going on in New England in that the greatest quarterback that I've ever seen in Tom Brady is now with one of the worst franchises, if not the worst franchise in the history of the NFL and Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I mean, this goes back to the late 70s when they came in with those cr- creamsicle uniforms and just like, like, what is this? Football in Florida. It's how strange, right? But the thing is, is that this team has underachieved a lot in its time. And Tom Brady now is part of this franchise. So earlier we talked to Field Yates. I was a part of an interview in which Field Yates, who is very close to the Patriots organization, he works for ESPN, great on the fantasy side as well. But Field came on to tell us uh, some thoughts about the Patriots when I worked with Courtney Cronin and um, Chris Carlin on ESPN Radio. And so one of the questions that was asked to Field is, uh, as you watch the Brady situation unfold, were you surprised on how it happened or... Did you think it worked out how you expected? You know, I've been describing the actual moment when it became clear that Tom Brady was going to become a Tampa Bay Buccaneer as surprising because even if you were 99.9% sure that he was gone, just the realization of the most accomplished and greatest quarterback of all time who spent 20 years with one franchise and was intertwined with them as any athlete probably right now uh, in, in, in modern athletic sport, modern sports, it's just like that alone, that moment was so substantial and different and unique. That, that came as a bit of a surprise. Not that I wasn't necessarily anticipating it, but just it actually happening uh, to me was shocking. And it's going to be shocking when you see Tom Brady wearing a pewter and silver. Is that what it is? Is that the appropriate description of the Buccaneers colors? I believe um, the words are ugly. Orange the word is ugly you're looking for. Whatever they are. Well, they have new jerseys coming soon, so maybe those will change. But anyways, whenever he puts on a jersey that's not you know blue and red, it's going to be a very, very unique experience. Field, as you take a look at the Patriots roster without Brady on the offensive side, what stands out most about this Patriots depth chart offensively now that Brady's gone? Well, I think the obvious is that the quarterback position remains one that is yet to be determined in terms of who the starter is, right? You probably have a really good guess on the starting quarterback, if not a slam dunk on 30 or 29 of the NFL teams right now. The only mysteries, in my opinion, are the Patriots, I suppose the the Chargers, and and I would suppose the Dolphins as well. But those teams have options that we're more aware of. So for the Patriots, um, the quarterback position is probably the most obvious one. And then just how this team reestablishes its identity on offense, it's going to be interesting to me. They have a need to add more wide receivers. We saw late last season, their tight end is a really, really barren spot right now, one that sort of sticks out as you look around the NFL. But the offensive line should be very good, and although the defense had some defections this offseason, as we know, Bill Belichick is as resourceful as any coach we've seen in terms of finding ways to maximize talent in his defensive scheme, and I don't have too many concerns about the team's ability to be pretty solid defensively next year. Uh, So Tom Brady dominates the headlines throughout last week, which was a nice break from the reality we're dealing with in our real world, uh, the non-sports world, but he wasn't the only free agent uh, that started conversation. I saw you put out a tweet earlier, Field, about notable free agents on your quote-unquote all-defense team. Um, 
Jadavian Clowney still on the street, Everson Griffin and Dominican Sue, Nicole Roby Coleman, Eric Reed and Von Bell. I mean, which who's going to be the first domino, I guess, as we enter into this second wave of free agency from from that group of superstar players that you expect to fall? Yeah, I think there are two dominoes that I think are still left to fall. Courtney, I just don't know if they'll fall first. It's the quarterback domino, and that's either – it's one of really three players, Jameis Winston, Andy Dalton, and Cam Newton, all guys who are available either by trade or Jameis being a free agent. And then the wide receiver market, it's been really slow. I mean, there was a time for like two full days where only Randall Cobb and Amari Cooper had signed multi-year deals. Guys like Robbie Anderson are still waiting around. I think Anderson probably had – you know, desires for a multi-year contract that might have paid him $10 million per season. That, to me, would seem like a reasonable uh, wish for him coming into free agency. But as teams wait on this really special wide receiver class, and we're just a month and a day away from the start of the 2020 NFL draft, they're probably saying to themselves, do we want to pay Robbie Anderson $10 million per season when we might feel like we have, just as an example, a Jerry Judy available to us in the draft a month from now. And then for the quarterbacks, again, I don't know who has to blink first or whether those things actually happen soon or not, but those are the two that I think have a chance to be a chain effect position that could kind of get the ball rolling and move things along from here. Field Yates, our ESPN NFL insider with us. Uh, one other team I want to hit, uh, field is the jets and what they have done they have really loaded up uh, on the offensive line spot so does that now turn things for them a little bit when it comes to the first round of the draft because it seemed as if it was a foregone conclusion that they may draft a tackle for to be a bookend for the next 10 years yeah i don't think it does i still think the team should have its eyes squarely on one of these tackles that will be available at pick 11 and I don't want to say with certainty which one that will be, but we know that there are four really great, great tackle prospects. Andrew Thomas, Mekhi Becton, Tristan Wirfs, and then also Jedrick Wills out of Alabama, four guys that I think people feel as though are going to be you know 10-year starters that you just referenced. My guess, and this is just sort of doing some math here, is that we'll have three quarterbacks in the top 10, we'll have Chase Young in the top 10, we'll have Isaiah Simmons in the top 10, and Jeffrey Okuda in the top 10, so right there, you get to one of those tackles just by sort of, sort of counting on the certainty likely to be available for the Jets. Um, I would say it sort of reflects a more holistic approach that GM Joe Douglas is going to take. I don't know that anybody's going to say the Jets have the sexiest offseason this year. The Jets maybe are the free agency winner. But when the primary goal of Joe Douglas this offseason was to rebuild the offensive line, I think he may have already added three sure thing starters and George Fance and Greg Van Roten and also Connor McGovern and then retained another in Alex Lewis. So if you could potentially draft a tackle at pick 11 to have five guys that you make major legit investments in, that feels like mission accomplished to me. Just based on the roster composition field of the Bills, how far do you think the Bills are ahead of the Patriots now that Brady's with Tampa? Yeah, I'd say they're right there. I mean, I, you know, I, I guess I'm sort of, uh, you know, I'm reticent to, to count the Patriots out just because, right, it's been 20 years of dominance, so I don't want to be the person that jumps the gun and says the Patriots are no longer the team to beat in the AFC East. Uh, I think there's a compelling case for the Bills to have more talent on their roster right now. 
the big question mark for both teams is really the ability of the quarterback. And so for the Patriots, we're not even sure who it is. For the Bills, it's how much of a leap does Josh Allen make in year three. I thought he was better in year two than year one, but I think a lot of people remember the AFC wildcard game against the Houston Texans and some of the curious decisions he made. But I like his chances on the whole to see an upward trajectory. So I think that push comes to shove. Uh, if I had to pick one, I guess I guess I'd pick the, the Bills for the moment in, in, in a game played right now. But that's really because I don't know who the Patriots quarterback is going to be. And I think there's a chance that by the time we get to September and hopefully football is being played by then, that I might feel like the Patriots are definitely the team to beat again. I don't know. I think it's one of those – it's a question we haven't had to ask ourselves before, but it's an interesting one at that. So the NFC South is now appointment viewing TV, as we know, with the Bucks and, and their recent acquisition, but also all the moves that the Saints have made in the last 48 to 72 hours um, and some of the restructures they had with their with their roster to be able to keep certain players around um, dating back into the early days of free agency last week. Now, who are you more intrigued by uh throughout the rest of of that division the Panthers or Atlanta because you know certainly a splash with quarterback at with with uh, Teddy Bridgewater in Carolina but Atlanta's kind of an interesting team right now I mean they did a lot early on uh but you know I still can't really figure out what the end what the end game is for them field you know one thing I always think about Courtney is that the gap between the very best talent in the NFL and the worst team in the NFL in some years is actually not that substantial. And the real, the reason I mention that is that sometimes like character and willingness and want to can make a big difference. The Falcons finished four and zero at the end of last season, and they beat some good teams. They beat the 49ers. People remember that game, which nearly cost San Francisco the number one seed in the conference. And it wasn't like they just beat teams that were you know already on to the off season. And this is a team that was down and out their bye week. But rather than just cashing it in and preparing for their vacations in January, the Falcons really bounced back and were resilient. And you're right. To your point, they have a lot of intriguing teams. I, you know, I, I noticed this when they had acquired Hayden Hurst and Todd Gurley, that 10 of their 11 projected starters on offense were first-round picks when they got into the league. And then Elias taking a step, took it a step further and noted, as it happened in the last, I think, uh, since 1967, the modern era of the NFL are close to it. So, um, talent is not necessarily the biggest question mark for me with Atlanta. I think probably it's about defensive consistency because although they have a defensive-minded head coach and although they have some individually talented defensive players, you know they got to stay healthy. Keanu Neal, uh, strong safety, continues. Unfortunately, has had a couple of major injuries. And if they can just get the most out of the guys they have that are healthy, then you know I wouldn't be surprised if they're frisky next year in the NFC South, which is the interesting part about Tom Brady is the Bucks can win the division next year. They could also finish third, and it wouldn't necessarily come as a massive grand shot. Field Yates with us. Uh, Field, we've got about 30 seconds left. Who, whether it's player or team, had the best week, and who had the worst week? I think in terms of talent add, it's the Dolphins. I just thought that, you know, where they were, I don't know if you could measure arbitrarily, but I thought that was uh, a big week for them is just getting guys um, – and I think just players that fit their scheme. And I don't have an answer for the worst week yet, guys. I suppose the Texans are the easy one because they lost the Andre Hopkins by a trade. But, you know, I think it's too early in the offseason for me to feel like somebody really, really fell short. Field, appreciate the time. And, and uh, hopefully all is good and healthy and safe with your family. Right back to you guys. I appreciate that. You're listening to Under the Hood. 
Get the ESPN Chicago app for podcasts and the live stream from anywhere, anywhere, anywhere. Download in the App Store today. This is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and ESPN Chicago apps. You can download the ESPN Chicago app wherever you'd like on your Android or your iPhone. Put it on your iPad. Put it in the fillings of your teeth. It's the ESPN Chicago app where you can get all the podcasts, including this one. Hey, I work weeknights. Sometimes you don't get a chance to hear my show uh, for the full three hours. If you do, thank you so much. If you don't, you can always check out the podcast. Just click under the hood, and you can be able to pick out any hour you care to. Also, Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday for you wrestling fans. By the way, I did see Dark Side from the Ring, the first two episodes. If you have not seen that on Vice, you don't have to be a wrestling fan to watch Dark Side of the Ring. It is about... Chris Benoit, the longtime wrestler from Japan, WCW, the WWE, and how he was revered as a wrestler and ends up killing himself, his young son, and his wife. It is a heartbreaking story, and it's something that, if you're interested, you should watch because it's the story of Chris Benoit is unbelievable. And I'll talk about that on a separate podcast on Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. But I saw it this morning, and it is, it's hard to watch all in one sitting. You know, it's hard. you got to walk away maybe a couple times. But it, uh, it is uh, some great, um, interesting um, stories leading into the death of Benoit and his family that he killed, that he murdered himself and his family. Well, a lot of stuff about CTE in there as well. So check it out, Dark Side of the Ring. And I'll talk about it on a separate podcast for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. But again, download the app and you can click TWT and you can get all of my episodes of my wrestling conversation. Uh, let us make it the uncomfortable segue now to the NBA. And so I, I, I was reading the New York Times earlier today from Mark Berman, who wrote a piece entitled, entitled that Jeff Van Gundy is convinced the NBA season is over. He says, I'm not an expert, but I'd be surprised if the NBA plays again this season. It's going to be hard to be able to get it back going. I would suspect it's going to be very difficult. The good thing is, is that I trust Adam Silver, the commissioner, to do what's right and what's best and not for the interest of money. So Van Gundy, color analyst for ABC and ESPN, thinks it's over. And again, with all of our sports, you don't know, I don't know either when... Baseball's coming when if basketball is coming back, horse racing, golf. I don't know when any of this is coming back, but I find it interesting that one of the voices, strong voices of the NBA feels like this is not going to happen. So Brian Windhorst was on earlier uh, talking about this issue uh, about the NBA. One of the things that was talked about here with uh, Windhorst is the, the NBA might have to keep players all in one place. They may have to go take over a college somewhere where they can take over a campus, where they can keep all the players and, and referees and everything safe, keep an eye on them, feed them, get them training, let them practice, sort of create a commune of NBA basketball, put it on TV to salvage the season. I think that's where we're headed. I'm, I'm just throwing it off the top of my head when I say Billings, Montana, but it ain't going to be in New York and it ain't going to be in LA because we've got major issues there we have to deal with first. And that's what the Chinese are doing. They're, they're they're going to, to they were going to go to one city that is like you know a third it's got seven million people in it because it's China but it's like a third level city um, you know it would be like uh, because I live in Omaha I'll just use that as an example <clears throat> it'd be like playing games in Omaha 
Uh, that's what they were going to do. That's what they still want to do. And that's what the reality is that the NBA is looking at. Um, Tyler? That doesn't sound good. That That's a weird concept, too. Uh, finding a college town and just it's like Olympic Village style. No, the NBA is not going to do that. I don't know where he got that from. Yeah, <laughs> like I don't think the NBA is going to do that. This... Can you imagine telling no. LeBron and and Anthony Davis and I mean Kawhi? Yeah, you're all going to go to Omaha, Nebraska, and you're you're just going to spend the next couple of weeks here, and that's that. You, like the NCAA tournament style, right? Where it's just like you can't be one and, that one and done. And I understand, like what you know, the one eight matchups. That's going to be a quick series anyway. Milwaukee against I don't have the standings in front of me. I guess it's Orlando. I don't have it in front of me, but it's like one eight is going to be quick, pretty quick. And the same thing, I believe, in the West uh, that that should be taken care of quickly, but not to the point where teams are just staying around for two or three weeks waiting for the series to end. Like what? What is that? No, yeah, and, and good luck convincing those guys to to spend their off days there. <laughs> okay, he also talks. <laughs> Brian Windhorst on Cola Kawingo also talks about mid-May return is wildly optimistic. The Korean League was supposed to start this weekend, and they've decided to sh- to shut it down for the whole year. They're not going to play, and now the Chinese League has pushed it back again. They are now looking at a four month-long layoff minimum. And the reason I think this is relevant is not because I think you should care about what's happening in, in Japanese basketball, the B-League in, in Japan, but because we've got people like Mark Cuban, who I highly respect, and I think is on the cutting edge of, of, of just about everything here, coming out yesterday and saying he was hoping for a mid-May return uh, for the NBA. I, I, I think that's wildly optimistic as I look what's happening elsewhere. Well, I like to for all of our sports to return at some point, but when it's safe, that's when it should return. In the NBA, if it happens in June or July, no problem with that. They could be able to get through the playoffs and not interfere with the NFL, Major League Baseball, whatever. I think that'll be just fine if it returns in July. But again, time will tell on all of our sports when it returns. I thank you so much for listening and being a part of the program here on ESPN 1000. Our thanks to Dan Shanka and Stacey Dales and Field Yates. Show produced by Tyler Akee on the other side of the glass. Again, no Under the Hood Thursday and Friday because we got NCAA tournament flashbacks. But I'm on Saturday and Sunday between 12 and 5 on ESPN Radio and Sirius XM Channel 80. So hope that you get a chance to tune in. If you don't catch me this weekend, how about Monday at 7 p.m. right here on ESPN 1000?